when we started to take what I would say a biopsychosocial approach to neuroplasticity, what we see is a highly variable range of better outcomes. But importantly, the worst results are still better outcomes. The best results are mind-blowing and make it into books like Norman Doidge's The Brain That Changes Itself. It's a biopsychosocial thing. We move, we get the heart rate up, we get sleeping, we engage socially. We give the brain novel stimuli, learn something new, because the brain will change in response to that and you can train changeability. Are you becoming increasingly aware of your advancing age? Do you wonder if you're making the most of your life or fear that the best years may be behind you? Welcome to Aging with Purpose, a podcast developed by Lydia Consi from Avanti Care to help create a movement for purposeful aging because every person and their needs matter. The Aging with Purpose podcast is a Narrative Network production. Hello, I'm Talitha Cummins and I'm joined by Professor Lorimer Mosley, who is a pain scientist. He researches and studies pain in humans. Professor, let's talk about neuroplasticity. Can the brain be rewired? Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, so neuroplasticity really refers to the ability of the nervous system to change in its function and in its structure. Uh, my research group is doing research led by Carolyn Berryman on developing plasticity indexes of different people's brains and different parts of the brain. And you know, I've been working in this field for, for a couple of decades. It's, uh, it's very relevant to my main field of pain because you see, your pain system changes very quickly sometimes and, and recovery from pain involves neuroplasticity. I, I wholeheartedly think our brains can change and do change to be better at the things we're asking them to, to do. Uh, but there's also a risk with this question that, that we need to be careful about. And that is that sometimes the amount of change that we're asking of them and the barriers to almost convincing the brain to change mean that that journey will maybe very, very slow. Uh, so I get, I get a little bit frustrated uh, at some of the conferences I've been a part of that are more in that sort of the depths of clinical depression you just have to recruit neuroplasticity to change this. It's not that easy in some situations. Or someone with schizophrenia, you know, I'll oh, retrain your brain. It's not that easy to do that. And for some people in some situations, we probably don't have time to train the brain to where you want to go. But we definitely have time to train the brain to be doing something slightly different. In reality, the brain is like a, a jungle full of neurons and immune cells competing for attention and influence and collaborating for influence. I think the idea of rewiring, neuroplasticity being about rewiring, is not precise enough. I reckon we could talk more, uh, more precisely about learning because then we don't have to worry about wires changing their course because that's months to years to decades. But the functional rewiring or the learning in the system is a seconds to minutes to hours, to days, to months. So the things that we know make new neurons are, this won't be very surprising to you, emotion. If you now think back, what can you remember of being a teenager? I bet you you remember the really happy times 
and the really sad or, or frightening times. And our brains can undergo almost permanent changes from a single exposure to a highly threatening event. Is that right? Yeah, and that, and that sort of thing is the basis of, for example, post-traumatic stress disorder after a, sec- uh, after a single event. But we, and we don't want to expose people to that. That's pointless. So what's the other end of the spectrum? The happy end. Joyful. So one of the principles is that when you can create that activation in a, in a part of our system that you might call the limbic system, some people would have heard of the limbic system, the hippocampus is a part of that. When you activate the limbic system, you trigger a cascade of events that makes your brain change. So that's one way. Exercise is one way. By getting your heart rate up, we, we know that your brain produces anti-inflammatory molecules, but it also makes your brain change the type of neurotransmitters that it's making and increases the likelihood of what we call neurogenesis. So that's the, the manufacture of new nerves, new, new neurons or brain cells. So exercise, heart rate up, social engagement, sleep. One cool discovery that's very applicable to, to the elderly is that if you want to learn a new movement skill, motor skill, uh, in fact, any skill, you, you might want to learn how to play bridge or you might want to learn how to knit, all right? Or you might even want to learn to play Fortnite on PlayStation with your grandson, right? You're wanting to connect with your grandson because you know that's anti-inflammatory and is good for neuroplasticity. How do you connect? Your grandson says, well, I only play Fortnite. And you think as a, let's say a 75-year-old, all right, well, can I learn to play Fortnite? The answer to that is yes, you absolutely can. And if you want to learn more quickly, play it when you're you know, getting close to being ready to bed because we know that the, the brain will consolidate that learning better if you give it a rest straight afterwards. Uh, when we start doing these things, so we start to take what I would say a biopsychosocial approach to neuroplasticity, what sort of outcomes, better outcomes can we get? And, and what we see is a highly variable range of better outcomes. But importantly, the worst results are still better outcomes, right? The best results are mind-blowing and make it into books like Norman Doidge's The Brain That Changes Itself. People losing their sight in middle age and quickly the the parts of the brain that respond to visual cues in all of us it's called the primary visual cortex it's at the back of the brain quickly start to respond to sounds that means that they can actually see in inverted commas their environment and that's that's a hearing capacity that we don't have Uh, and i would summarize to say well in in the pain space which Recovery from persistent pain depends on neuroplasticity. We have anything from slightly better to way better outcomes if we take the approach of what are the principles that that make the brain make brain cells and make the brain change the neurotransmitter profile, uh, which changes brain function. And we do all the same. It's a biopsychosocial thing. We move, we get the heart rate up, we get sleeping, we engage socially. We, We give the brain novel stimuli, learn something new, I would say to everyone, I say this to my kids, I apply the principle myself, if you get a chance to learn something new, learn it because the brain will change in response to that and you can train changeability. So do it more. Okay, so that's your advice for anyone. Keep learning, keep educating yourself. Oh, every okay. opportunity. So yeah. that, that, there are a lot of you know brain training exercises and all different sorts of things. Does it, does it have to be like that or can it be just learning something new on television about a new subject area i would just put it through the the test of is it new is it fun and can you do it with other people you like and if you can tick those boxes do it uh, and particularly if you you know 
did it with your heart rate up. There's another tip for young players. If you, if you want to learn how to do Sudoku, get on a stationary bike and pedal a little bit so your heart rate goes up by 20 or 30% and do it then because that helps us to learn better. So all, all of these are implications from animal studies. Fit rats learn better than unfit rats. We've talked about um, so exercise, socialisation, lots of different things to, to improve neuroplasticity. What about mindfulness? What role does mindfulness play? Mindfulness, we, we know, does take your brain into a, a, into a state that makes it ready to learn. When we apply mindfulness to the pain space, uh, people are encouraged to almost observe the pain but not react to it. And I, th- I think I'm no mindfulness expert, but I think that would be a general theme in mindfulness uh, and a lot of meditations. Observe it, don't cast judgment and don't react mm. to it. And that actually is disconnecting different parts of a response in the brain. So you're actually training the brain to, to put out half of its habitual response. So you're learning. You're actually disconnecting different aspects of a global response. So I think mindfulness can be very... Uh, helpful for those two reasons for putting you and your brain into a state that makes it open to new ideas makes it better at learning Uh, but also in and of itself it's a skill you have to learn you can't just immediately say oh i'm i think i'll do a mindfulness this afternoon my understanding particularly well i certainly know this is the case for meditation is you have to learn how to do it so how can the aged care industry incorporate some of these learnings about neuroplasticity? I'd, I'd really like to almost uh, increase the breadth of that inquiry to plasticity beyond the neuro. We can grasp that idea, neuroplasticity, but actually all of our bodily systems have plasticity. I like to think about bioplasticity. You know, you know, you learn to play the piano. We can say that's in part neuroplasticity, in part bioplasticity. Your muscles are changing. Mm. If the question, let's say we made that broader, how can aged care facilities integrate some of the discoveries and learnings of bioplasticity that we've made? I would like to suggest, well, the first thing is we can have a, a plasticity mindset in when we're designing programs in these facilities, when we're thinking about care. We could ask, we could put it through the test. Does this promote positive change? or not. Uh, and if we were talking particularly about neuroplasticity, then I would like to see int- integration of learning opportunities. Let's say we're going to do the zoo trip, the new pandas are in and we take the take everyone to the zoo. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I would like a question in there to be, how can we make this a learning opportunity as well as a social opportunity, as well as an exercise opportunity, rather than just it's a visit to the zoo? How can you make a trip to the zoo? A learning opportunity. Well, if I was in charge of that program, and it's probably good for everyone that I'm not, as it's not my skill set, but have a think about how the pandas get around. Imagine what would it be like being a panda to walk around like that. Now, I'm making this up on the spot. Yes, but yeah. the idea of reflecting on what you're feeling there or how do you feel about the pandas being in that cage? Uh, from a day-to-day process within aged care facilities, I think that the Uh, procedural and policy levers that I mentioned before are really important that right down to healthcare we're asking questions within the context of does this promote positive change in this human or does it maintain a holding pattern that question would probably be a great question to ask someone really intimately familiar with how aged care facilities work because I'm not 
have that conversation at the same table as someone who's a neuroplasticity expert and someone who might be a pain fatigue expert, you know, I think there's real opportunity for, for bringing together the sciences that are relevant. And I guess that's what you've done well. You've studied humans and you're now advising and giving advice on how we can actually make changes to our life. So It's all about conversations, right? Mm. So my final question, how can we ensure that our minds stay active? Uh, I think there's some discipline in that. I think we can seek out, be curious. I, I heard someone speak within the context of pain, a cool clinician from Melbourne called Jack Bean, nicknamed Beanie, who runs pain management programs for people of all ages. Uh, and a core theme of what he encourages is being curious for ensuring that our minds stay engaged and changing, take on a posture of curiosity. Uh, and then I feel like uh, almost like I might get irritating with how frequently I say it, get moving, get laughing, sleep well, surround yourself by people who love you. All those sorts of things ensure, I think, that we will have as active minds as we can possibly have. So it's simple stuff, but there's there's evidence that it it works. Yeah. Ah, oh, it is simple stuff, isn't it? Mm, it is. It really is. Sometimes I wonder if I've wasted twenty five years because <laughs> the 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 take home messages are more and more simple, almost common sense stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I, I wonder if I should have done something different. <laughs> <laughs> I think in your defence, as humans, we tend to overcomplicate things, yeah. don't we? Well, Professor Lorimer Mosley, thank you very much for your time today. Very insightful conversation. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was, it was fun. Yeah. Our pleasure. Thanks for listening to Aging with Purpose. Links to references mentioned in today's episode are included in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and our Avanti Care newsletter to keep informed and ensure you never miss an episode. To subscribe and to access a wide range of useful resources, head to our website www.avanticare.com.au. The Aging with Purpose podcast is produced by Narrative Marketing, who believe that storytelling can positively impact the world.